Well, as you know, if you were here last week, we began talking. You might want to turn that down, sister, and I'm going to turn this one up, all right? Um, last week, we began talking about another giant that we find in our lives, and it's a giant that we must face, and it was the giant of doubt. We had to learn how to deal with doubt. Today, we're going to go into part two of that same message entitled, not only dealing with your doubt, but disarming your doubt. Because there are things that we can do to disarm the doubt that we have in our lives. But before we get going, I wanted to tell you about uh, a lady named Susan Shelley, who in her sixth month of pregnancy went to visit her doctor, and her doctor told her that her unborn child had a brain condition called microcephaly. It seemed that Marshall and Susan Shelley's third child would never be able to walk. The child would never be able to talk, would never be able to sit up, and would never even be able to recognize her parents. Baby Mandy. Baby Mandy was her name, and her life would be filled with seizures endless hospital visits, and infinite medications. After Mandy was born, it was much worse than they expected. The difficulty of caring for an unresponsive child, one emergency after another emergency, and eight hours that was required just to feed this child was a little more than the family could stand. Where was God? That's what they asked. They even said, you know, now would be a good time for you to show up, God. They even said, you're more than welcome to show up anytime. We really could use your help. Then... Just in the midst of their caring for Mandy, they received a little surprise. Susan was pregnant again. It seemed that God was finally rewarding their faithfulness. But in the fifth month of that pregnancy, Susan went in for an ultrasound and the doctor said, Your baby has a malformed heart. Your baby's aorta is not attached properly, and your baby is missing half of its brain. It might be spina bifida. The little boy wouldn't survive long outside of the baby's womb, so the doctor suggested a termination. But Susan and Marshall, still honoring God as the giver and taker of life, chose to carry the baby full term, praying that they could just hold that baby alive, if even for a moment. However, two minutes after Toby entered the world, he departed again. And then in a tragic series of events, their other baby, Mandy, the one with microcephaly, also died. 
two tiny coffins, two graves, two aching losses. Susan's prayers were angry. If God couldn't take better of his children here on earth, what assurance did she have that they were okay today? Her doubts were overwhelming. And so she needed some assurance that Mandy and Toby were safe and that they were okay. And so Susan began to pray. Like Susan, the circumstances of life can challenge our faith and many of us will begin to deal with the giant of doubt. It also appeared to one of the disciples, Peter. And I want to share with you one of the moments where Peter experienced some doubt. Listen to what the Word of God says in Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 23. And when he, Jesus, had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea... They were troubled and they said, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Sounds like they had a little doubt themselves. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if, say if, Lord, if it's you. He doubted that it was him. He said, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And so Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. There's no longer any doubt. Amen. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Last week, we found through the narrative of Doubting Thomas that doubt develops in isolation. Friends, if you will stay connected to God's family, if you will stay connected to God's family, you will find that it is infinitely easier to stay connected to your faith. But when you get isolated, off by yourself, you're an easy target, amen? We also found just then that in Peter, we see doubt often demands evidence. Peter demanded evidence. He said, if it's you, command me to come on out there. And Jesus said, what? Come on. It's me. Come on. If 
If you ask God for evidence with an honest heart, I got to tell you, he'll answer you. It may not be in your timing. It may not be in the way you expected, but he'll answer you. We also uh, experience the power of God. When we do that, we begin to be drawn back to Christ. When we experience, like Peter, when he experienced the power of God, what did he do? He headed straight for Jesus. Amen? When we experience the power of God, doubt will draw you back to Christ. But doubt can also actually deepen your faith. Do you think that Peter would have dared to get out of that boat to walk on the water unless Jesus told him to do it? Why, he'd have been a fool to try. Amen? It deepened his faith. And then even when he started to sink, his faith was such that all he had to do was just reach up his hand and say, Lord, save me, knowing that Jesus was going to take care of him. Finally, doubts define our faith. When our question marks are turned into exclamation points, the same thing that happened in Thomas's upper room, the same thing that happened on the boat, the question marks turn into exclamations. My Lord and my God, Thomas said. And what did the guy say on the boat? Truly you are the Son of God. Our questions turn into exclamations. So today, let's learn some helpful hints on how we can turn our questions into exclamations. Amen? Let's learn how to disarm our doubts. The first thing that we need to learn is we need to learn to admit our doubts personally. Admit our doubts. Let me know if this has ever happened to you. You walk into church. Man, it has been a rough week, and you are exhausted. You come in, you're exhausted, you're on edge. It's been a real tough morning with the kids. Amen? I didn't mean to look at you, Hannah, but I did. Amen? It's been a tough morning with the kids. You're a little bit on edge. Amen? Um, you're discouraged. Man, things just didn't go the way you wanted them to go. And you're discouraged. And then you bump into a brother or sister, and man, they're just bubbling over with godly goo. You know what I'm talking about when I say godly goo? Oh, man, they're all smiles, they're excited, they're enthusiastic. Oh, man, they're smiling. They repeatedly tell you, oh, I'm so blessed. And here's what you want to say. I've been toting around a bushel of doubt all week. You want to say, I haven't sensed God at all in my life. You want to say, I'm barely getting by at work. My finances are an absolute mess. My family's in chaos. And to be perfectly honest with you, I haven't seen God do much of anything. But we don't say that, do we? No, we keep it inside. But I want to tell you, uh, it's far better to let it go. Just to make it public, to spill it. Amen? Spill it in public rather than to smother your emotions under uh, a smoke screen that's going to last for years and perhaps months. Friend, if you're going to make it through the tough times, if you're going to make it through the difficult times, if you're going to encounter the true goodness of God, you've got to begin with honesty. Being honest with yourself and being honest with God. You've got to get to the point where you will admit to yourself all is not well with my soul. Amen? Sometimes we get to that point where all is not well with our soul. So admit your doubts personally. 
Here's another step for disarming your doubt, and that is to articulate your doubts clearly, to put your doubts into words clearly. You can't get by with a simple, well, you know I'm a natural-born doubter. That ain't going to cut it, amen? That ain't going to get it. You have to think about what the doubt is. Think about it for a moment. Put your finger on it. Find out what is it that's causing me to be uncertain. What is it? You see, friend, you can't harbor a nameless doubt. You need to identify it and identify it clearly. Identify what's causing the problem, then describe it clearly, and then deal with it. Because we all have doubts from time to time. You just need to identify it, describe it, and then deal with it. Are you struggling with the historical accuracy of the resurrection? Man, that's a big pill to swallow. Somebody coming back from the dead? That's difficult. Well, I want to tell you, friend, there are all kinds of resources that we can give you to equip you to get past your doubt. Do you struggle with why bad things happen to good people? If you don't, or if you do, you're not the only one. You're looking at another one right here. I struggle with that. Why do good things happen to bad people? You're not the only one, so ask faithful teachers. Ask faithful preachers, come to me. I don't know all the answers, but I know where to find them, amen? And we can look together and pray through our doubts. Do you ever wonder if one denomination is better than another? Or why there's one that's different from another? Well, friend, all you got to do is ask. You got to ask. You got to find the answers. You got to put your finger on it and say, I need to know it. I need to be able to compare these different faiths. And I need to find out why I believe what I believe. That's important. So verbalize what you believe. Verbalize why you doubt it. Amen? Verbalize it. What brought this on? Has there been some kind of skeptic that kind of changed my mind about what I believe? Maybe there's been a tragedy or a hurtful situation that's gone on in, in my life that caused a bad feeling. Sometimes, boy, those, those tragic, hurtful situations really can cause us to doubt. They can cause us to have problems. So whatever is going on, clarify the issue and expose the doubt for what it is. Now, uh, I also want to give you a third, a third hint to disarm your doubts, and that is to acknowledge your doubts prayerfully. In a great book that's entitled, Doubts Can Be Good, Christian author Mark Littleton wrote, Turn your doubts into questions, turn your questions into doubts, and turn your prayers to God. Amen? That's some good, solid advice. Turn your doubts to questions, your questions to prayers, and your prayers to God. Now, does that mean that I can go to straight to God with my doubts? Isn't God going to be a little bit offended when I start expressing my doubts about his word or about what he says is true, friend, you're not going to scare God. You're not going to concern God. He's heard it all, and he already knows what you feel anyway. You just need to verbalize it. You need to bring it to him. Because on and on and on again in the Bible, people doubted. That's the great thing about this book. This book is a real 
book. It's a book of real people with real doubts, but they didn't let their doubts stay a doubt. They worked through their doubts. Take Gideon, for instance. In Judges chapter 6, and you don't have to go there. I'm going to share it with you. In Judges chapter 6, verse 11, the Bible tells us that there was an angel of the Lord who sat in, under a terebinth tree, and Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press. Now, in verse 12, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said to him, The Lord is with you, O man of valor. The Lord's with you. You're a great guy. You're a man of valor. And listen to what Gideon said to that angel of the Lord. He said, Oh, my Lord, if, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? There's that word, if. If the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles? Where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord. There's a difference between the angel of the Lord and the Lord God Almighty. Amen. The Lord of hosts turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Now, here's what you need to know about that. Gideon was doubting. He said, If. If you were with us, then why is all this happening to us? Amen? If he was doubting right there in the presence of the angel, he was also being told that God, the Lord God Almighty, was there. Gideon was bold enough to say, you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. But Gideon said, if God is with us, then why has our land been taken over by lawless criminals? If God is with us, then where are all those miracles my grandpa told me about? Amen? And then what happened next, I see that it must have got God's attention. Because the next voice we hear is not the angel's voice. The next voice we hear is God himself replying to Gideon. Friend, God can handle your doubts. He can handle all your questions. He can handle all your frustrations. Just a lot of times we're just too lazy to bring them to him. So let us not be lazy. Let us bring our doubts to God and explore our doubts and move past our doubts. So remember Gideon, but also remember Sarah. Everybody remember Sarah, right? Sarah and Abraham, the old folks. Amen? I was going to say something, but I ain't going to say it. God promised Sarah a son. He promised Sarah a son and decades later, he still hadn't delivered on that promise. I mean, can you blame Sarah for becoming a little bit testy? I mean, you know, when are you going to do this, God? When is this promise going to be fulfilled? I mean, she's pushing 100 years old. Some of y'all are doing the same, amen? I did say it. I didn't mean to. She's pushing 100 years old, and not only did she doubt, but y'all remember what else she did? She laughed. She laughed. She laughed in the face of God's promises. So she took her doubt one step further, amen? Think of the weeping prophet Jeremiah, who wrote the whole book of Lamentations, 
Why? Because he was going head on with God about some of the questions he had that was happening to the nation of Israel. David often pointed his angry finger at God and said, God, you're abandoning me. Job, maybe the man of greatest faith, amen, sometimes had the deepest doubts. We're going to be talking about Job next week. But the Bible's best weren't heroes because they didn't have any doubts. The Bible's best were heroes because they confronted their doubts and they also conquered their doubts. They moved forward. And God wasn't scared to put all these doubters in the Word of God. He wanted us to see them and see how they worked through their doubts. Here's a fourth hint for you to disarm your doubts, and that is to analyze the evidence diligently. Why do you think that people don't confront their doubts? Man, they're just willing just to keep on doubting. They're not going to say nothing. They're not going to ask nothing. They're going to come to come to the preacher. Not going to come to their teacher. They're not going to ask a Christian friend. They're just going to keep on doubting. Why? Could it be that deep down they're afraid that maybe the doubts are going to win? Do you think that maybe deep down they think that Christianity is weaker than the disbelievers? Do you think that they think that Christianity can't hold up to criticism? Friend, it's held up for thousands of years. It's not going anywhere. Take the theory of evolution, for example. Many young people believe it to be true only because the mainstream academic circles say that it's true. That's the only reason they believe it's true. And as a whole, the church does a horrible job of countering some of the nonsense that modern science is trying to cram down the throats of our kids. We need to be less compromising and more bold about what the Word of God says. The idea that the world has been created by God has been around forever. It's not gone anywhere. It's always been there. But the theory of evolution, man, it's the new kid on the block. It ain't been here no time. Same thing goes with philosophy. Back in the 1800s, Friedrich Nietzsche proclaimed that God is dead. 200 years later, you know what God proclaims? Frederick Nietzsche is dead. God ain't dead. I read about Frank Morrison, a lawyer, a very well-known attorney who set out to prove that Jesus' resurrection was a fraud once and for all. And so Frank began to examine all the historical evidence and with all of his knowledge of the law, with all of his knowledge of evidence collection, he began to work diligently. And do you know what he found about the resurrection? He found Jesus was resurrected from the grave. Amazing. When we, like Frank Morrison, ask questions and are willing to investigate, you know what you're going to find? The truth. And Frank Morrison was so convinced by the evidence and by the proof and by the truth, he wrote a book that defended the biblical account of the resurrection. We ought to be a lot like him. 
Friend, explore your doubts. Move forward through your doubts. Ask some questions. Be willing to investigate. Don't let a doubt stay a doubt. Here's your last hint to disarm your doubts, and that is to accept the limitations humbly. In the end, I got to tell you, there will just have to be some unanswered questions. In the end, some mysteries are just going to remain. I mean, if we knew everything, why would we need an all-knowing God? Amen? If we knew everything, why do we need an all-powerful God? Amen? Deuteronomy 29.29 tells us this. Tells us you're going to need some degree of faith. You're going to need to trust God because it says the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us. There's a lot of things out there that you will never know. But the Lord our God knows. They're the secret things. So we must be willing to accept personal limitations. Personal limitations. You know, the older I get, the more I realize how much I don't know. Is that crazy or what? You'd think I'd be growing in wisdom, but I just realize that there's so much more that I don't know. And, and there in the face of my ignorance, all I can do is just bow down before God and say, just like David, God, you know my frame. You know that I was just made of dust. Lord, help me to understand that I will never have all the answers. You'll never have all the answers. There are personal limitations, but we must also realize and accept that there are limitations in the Bible. Uh oh, that's right. There are limitations in the scriptures. This Bible is the very word of God, and every word in this book is true cover to cover. It is the only complete and total authority that we have. God's word takes every shred of truth and provides it to us because we need that for life in this world. But it doesn't take on every single question. The Bible doesn't address every single circumstance in your life. The Bible will not address every single situation that you find yourself. There are many issues where God doesn't directly speak about them. Many issues where God has chosen to be silent on a specific issue. So what does he do? He gives us principles. Godly principles to live by. God has the answers, but eventually we must come to the place where we trust the Spirit of God within us and where we trust the sound mind that we have or that some of us have. Amen? And make solid, godly decisions. Principles. So we must accept our personal limitations and also the Bible's limitations. But you know something else we must accept? We must accept that's a big world out there. We must accept the vastness of the universe. You know, the more we learn about the universe, the more vast it seems to become. Today, astronomers look through a telescope and they view galaxies that are light years away. And I saw these pictures actually on Facebook, had to research them to make sure they were legit. Back it up a little bit, brother. 
Y'all know what planet that is, right? Say it if you know it. Earth. <laughs> Very good. All right. There on September 3rd, uh, 2003, the Hubble Space Telescope began pointing its camera to a very small area in the night sky. Brother, now, you got the laser on that? Can you see this little square up there in the top part of that picture? That area, which is about the tenth of the size of the full moon, appeared to be completely black to the naked eye. They didn't even know stars in that square. But when they focused the Hubble Space Telescope on that square, look what they found. It wasn't black after all. All of those little dots are galaxies. Give me the next one, brother. Each dot in that image is an entire galaxy. And it contains up to one trillion stars. I don't know what one trillion looks like, but it's a lot, amen? Each star may have a system of planets. What about the next one, brother? All from lo what looked like a black spot in the sky. Wow. Friend, you need to realize how vast this universe we live in is. Astronomers say that all that that we can see, all that that we can see, even with the Hubble Space Telescope, is equivalent to a thimble of water next to the Pacific Ocean. So even that that we can see is hardly anything. And get this, the microscopic world is as infinitely small as the universe is big. If we had the ability to keep on looking within the, within the atoms and within the neutrons, within all those things, it's infinitely as small as the universe is big. What is your point, Bill? When you look into the infinite star-filled sky and you look into the microcosm of the invisible... Sometime you must conclude that the simple answer is there's no simple answer. We must conclude that I wouldn't be able to understand it even if they told it to me. Even if God sat me down, I wouldn't understand it all. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I wonder if Susan Shelley was thinking about that. You remember the lady who had the children who died? Susan kept pounding on the doors of heaven kept praying with all her heart, just looking for some assurance that her babies were okay. And then, late one night, Susan was praying, and her sleepy-eyed seven-year-old daughter named Stacy slipped into the room and said, Mom, God wants you to know that Mandy and Toby are very busy. 
They are preparing our house, and they are guarding the throne of God. Dumbfounded, Susan asked Stacy, how did God say those things to you? And Stacy said, oh, he spoke to my mind. Classic, amen. He spoke to my mind, and I thought it was an important message, so I got up because I thought you ought to know. Shelly didn't know what to think. Was this an answer to her prayers? Were these the words of reassurance that she so desperately needed coming from the mouth of a babe? Her children were busy preparing the place where the family would one day reunite. And that Mandy and Toby were very busy, very busy guarding the throne of God. Now that didn't remove all the grief. But what God did supply was enough, more than enough, to give her that assurance that she needed. And one year later, Shelly celebrated the birth of a healthy baby boy named Bailey. And Bailey is growing like a weed, and that family is doing very, very well. I say all this just to tell you this morning that you will never find a box that can contain God. You will never find a box that can, that can confine God. I'm thankful that we worship someone who is far greater than ourselves. I mean, can you imagine what a terrible world this would be if human beings represented the highest authority there was? Can you imagine the world we would live in where human beings were the ultimate source of wisdom that this universe had to offer? Be a horrible place to live, amen. I'm here to tell you this morning that God is good. That God is good. Man, we tell him what we want, don't we? And you know what he does? He gives us what we need. We can come to him with all of our questions, knowing completely that he's going to answer. Maybe not how we expected. Maybe not in our timing. But he is going to provide the answers that we need. And in the end, we will stand with the disciples who were on that boat that morning. And we will declare, truly, this is the Son of God. We will stand with Thomas and we will say, my Lord and my God, Jesus is his name. Friend, I want you to know this morning that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. If you cannot remove the doubt to accept that truth, I want you to know that today you can. Respond to what God is saying to you. Let me pray.